You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. I want to preach to you this morning a message that I've entitled, The Test of Discipleship. The Test of Discipleship. Get out a pencil. Clear your desk. It's time for a pop quiz. Did that not ever scare you to death in school? Do they still do that? I'm sure everything's electronic now. Okay. In today's passage, Jesus is giving his would-be disciples a pop quiz. Back then, in Jesus' time, a would-be disciple or a potential follower would examine various master teachers. They called them rabbis. And when they found one they really liked, they would go up to them and they would enlist in following that teacher. And generally they chose a teacher that was the most popular rabbi or one of the best equipped master teachers. But what we're going to see in the passage today is that kind of culturally popular form of discipleship, Jesus has something totally different in mind when it comes to following him. Today, many people believe that Christianity is all about or just about making a decision for Christ. Just make a decision for Christ already. Yet today's passage teaches there's more to Christianity than just making a decision for Christ. In fact, what Jesus will do, and He will do it to you, He will test your decision for Him. He will test your discipleship. He will test how far you are willing to follow and obey Him. And the question that sits before every single person in this room today is, will you pass the test? One more thing that I want you to remember before we read verses 18 through 22. So far in the book of Matthew chapter 8, Jesus has healed a form of polio or a type of paralysis with a... Anybody remember what he healed it with? Not a touch. A word in this one instance. When Jesus went and cast out demons, he ordered them to go with what? A word. Let's see what happens when he gives a word of order to people. To people. Look at what it says in verse 18. When Jesus saw a large crowd around him, He gave the order to go to the other side of the sea. 
He's putting before this crowd, he's got a crowd of would-be disciples, a crowd of people who have come to see Jesus heal, Jesus cast out demons, and Jesus teach with authority. And now he's going to find out, out of this large crowd, who's really going to follow and obey him wherever he goes. So he just says this, all right, guys, pack up, let's go to the other side of the sea. That's the pop quiz. That's the test. And then let's look at verse 19. A scribe approached him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Verse 20, look at Jesus' reply. Jesus told him, Foxes have dens, and birds of the sky have nests. But the Son of Man, that's Jesus' favorite nickname for himself, and I'll explain the theological significance of it later. But he says, but I have no place to lay my head. Here's test number one, and I want you to write it down and weigh your heart and your discipleship out this morning. Question one of this test is, will you surrender your status? Will you surrender your status? The first man that comes to Jesus, Matthew tells us what is his occupation. He is a scribe. Now, a scribe was a scholar in the Old Testament Scripture. These were men who enjoyed copying the Word of God. That's what they were doing, making copies of the Word of God. They also became experts because they spent so much time with the Word of God, studying the Word of God, interpreting the Word of God, helping others understand the Word of God. I need you to catch that the scribes in Judaism were revered people. They enjoyed a high status within Jewish society. But write this note down, write this reference down, Matthew 5.20. I've already preached it to you from the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5.20, it says this. This is Jesus speaking to that culture in time. He says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Now catch this. It could be said that when this scribe approached Jesus, he probably looked around at Jesus' ragtag followers and said, it looks like you got a bunch of fishermen following you. How would you like to upgrade? I'm a scribe. I know the Old Testament like the back of my hand, and I can see Jesus like, did you catch what I said earlier? Unless, unless your righteousness surpasses the scribes, you can't get into heaven. These were, quote unquote, the religious leaders. There was no one holier than the scribes. And yet, I need you to see this. The status of this scribe meant nothing to Jesus. Catch this. He didn't go, well, come on, please, man. These fishermen are driving me crazy. I'd love to have somebody to talk scripture with. His status didn't impress Jesus. Brother Jerry Spurlock was sharing a story with me and a few other guys the other day about his aunt going on a mission trip. Jerry's aunt went to a third world country to minister in a village. 
The villagers, in gratitude to their ministry, tried to give to the ant and the other missionary gifts that the villagers from this third world country would consider valuable. But in comparison to our first world luxuries, they were not. She and others would never take the gifts. Eventually, the villagers would try to get them to the missionaries by pushing or tossing them through the windows of their vehicles as they left the village. When I heard that, I asked Jairus, Jairus, I got to use that Sunday. And he sent it to me. Because here's what I think. I think sometimes we think we come up to Jesus going, we can do you a favor. Jesus, you're looking for a few good men. What you don't realize, we're bringing third world gifts to a first world king. There's nothing that you can offer Jesus that he goes, you know what, I do need that. Jesus has everything he already needs. You need to understand this. When you're coming to Jesus, you're coming to him sick, and he is the doctor. You don't go to the office of a doctor and say, what can I do for you, doctor? You go to the doctor, and what do you do? What can you do for me? Our status means nothing to Jesus. Jesus didn't see a scrub. Jesus saw a sinner in need of a Savior. I don't care who you are, what you've done, what you've got. It means nothing at the feet of Jesus. The only thing that moves Jesus is people who fall on their knees and say, Jesus, I need you. I'm encouraging you. Hey, don't come as a scribe today. Get on your, your hands and feet and you crawl to our Savior and say, I'm a sinner and I need your salvation, Jesus. Our status means nothing to him. Number two, we also see another test here. Will you surrender your spectating? Will you surrender your spectating? Now, this is interesting. Can I go ahead and just read the next couple of verses so we can compare what the scribe says? So, look at verse 21. It says, Lord, Lord. Another of his disciples said, First, let me go bury my father. So another guy from the crowd, another would-be disciple, approached Jesus and calls him what? Lord. The scribe, of course, being a scholar, calls Jesus what? Teacher. Now here's where things got a little different for the poor scribe that he didn't quite understand about the mission of Jesus. Scrubs generally sat under a teacher, sat and learned, took notes, copied those notes, copied the scriptures, did their best to interpret them, to understand them, and then passed those tradition along to the next group. But here's what Jesus ultimately emphasizes to this scribe. Hey, friend, this is not about you and I finding a place in which you can sit down and just listen to me all day long. When you join me and my uh, mission, missionary band, you're going to find out in just two chapters later, Jesus is going to commission his disciples to go out and do the very things he himself is doing. Discipleship is more than what's involved in a classroom. It is life on life. What you hear from Jesus must be obeyed and then come out. It must make a difference. 
Jesus is preparing his disciples not to sit and learn biblical facts. He is preparing his disciples for ministry and missions. Do you think you are doing God a big favor by sitting in church? He's got plenty of people that will sit and listen to him. He can draw the crowds. His word has the most amazing authority. When you're in the presence of Jesus, people get healed. And here's what I found out. I've pastored long enough to figure out this. People love to be entertained. People love to be spectators. But when it pushes, when discipleship is pushed into participation, all right, you've heard me, you've heard it said, you know what to do, now go and do. No one's to be found. (laughs) So one of the questions we have to ask ourselves, not only will you surrender your status, but you give up just spectating, sitting on a pew, keeping it warm, and then going home. That's not what Jesus calls us to. The third question that we have to answer is will you surrender your security? Will you surrender your security? Jesus looked into the heart of this scribe and ultimately knew here was going to be the problem. I'm going to leave this place, and right now you're willing to go with me to the other side. But here's what I think Jesus understood. I need you to follow me wherever I go. That means if I never come back here, you got to go. See, he's in Capernaum. Jesus is in Capernaum. This is where the headquarters of Jesus' ministry is. Some people have this idea of Jesus that Jesus was penniless. Well, then why did Judas watch the money bag? He had money. Or that Jesus was homeless. No, he probably bummed with Peter, (laughs) impossible. Or may have even had a little apartment in Capernaum. The point is this, Jesus came to the earth with a mission. I need you to understand, this is what he's trying to say to the scribe. I don't work a nine-to-five job and come home and punch it and sit down and relax. I go wherever God goes. I go wherever the mission goes. So if we go to the other side and we don't come back for days, weeks, months, years, do you get me? That's the kind of commitment you have to make. We long for security. We want to know that there's a place that we can go home to. And what Jesus does with his disciples, he takes that completely out from under us. He goes, it's only me. You've got to follow me. Now, some of you, when you hear me say this, you automatically, your mind jumps to, Jesus is sending me abroad. He's sending me to Afghanistan. He's sending me to India. He's sending me to China. And he may do that. He may do that. When we talk about surrendering our security, we are literally handing him the blank check, going, do what you want. But can I tell you where it shows up in some of the most obvious ways? If you get uncomfortable with the thought of going overseas, we could also simply ask this question. So when's the last time you went across your street and told someone about Jesus? Let's don't worry about overseas. I don't mean that we shouldn't pray or send or go. I'm saying look right here around us. 
There are, two, there are some of us that are too uncomfortable to even tell someone about Jesus right down the road from us. Some of us are too uncomfortable with trying to love the difficult person that's sitting on the pew with you. Right here within these eight walls. A true disciple will even become uncomfortable with giving sacrificially. Not just money, I'm talking about time and energy. A true disciple even is uncomfortable with leading one or two people to Christ in their lifetime. The point is this. Jesus will always call you out of your security. He will always call you out of your comfort zone. You may draw a line in the sand saying, Jesus, this is where I'm willing to go and get ready. Jesus is going to do this. He's going to wipe it right out and goes, come on, take one more step. And you'll draw another line. Guess what Jesus is going to do? Go, nah, a little bit further. <laughs> I think the scribe was saying a beautiful thing. I'll lead wherever you go. He just didn't understand the real implications. Jesus is like, do you really know what you mean by that, dear friend? Foxes have homes. Birds have homes. I've got a home, but that's not my real home. <laughs> I'm on a mission. Let's read verses 21 and 22. Lord, another of his, of his disciples said, First, let me go bury my father. Let me go bury my father. And notice Jesus' reply, but Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their dead. We surrender our status. We surrender our spectating. We surrender our security. And then number four, will you surrender your stipulations? Will you surrender your stipulations? In case you're wondering, did Jesus really just say that? Did he really just say that there's something more important than a father's funeral? Yeah, that's what he just said. And he had the audacity to say, and it's me. It's me. The man's stipulation was a legitimate stipulation. It was a noble one. In fact, it was a societal norm. If you've read anything about Judaism, you know they went all out on funerals. This man could have in mind, like, I just got to go finish the funeral. It'll take a couple hours. I'll be right back. He could mean this. They would sometimes mourn for weeks and months. And it could even emphasize this. He was waiting on his inheritance going, hey, when I find out how we divvy up daddy's land, I'm coming to follow you. None of those things are inherently evil in and of themselves. But here's the part I want you maybe to underline in your Bible. First, let me. Did you see that? First, let who? Me. This was a good thing. This was a good thing that this other disciple asked. But ultimately, who was the person behind it? Himself. First let me go bury my father. How many things have you committed yourself to that are good things, but when it comes to following Jesus, they are spiritually dead and unprofitable? 
I can think of many things. And, I, and, I, and I'll submit this. I'll use myself as an example. One of the things I know I struggle with in my life, I love academia. I love reading. I love writing. I love all of those things. That's a good and noble pursuit. But can it get in the way of following King Jesus? Absolutely. Here's where I think it shows up in most of our lives. When we say this, and I've said it, I don't have the time. I don't have the time to study the Word. I don't have the time to take, to take time out for prayer. I don't have the time to have family devotions. I don't have the time to attend that service. I don't have the time uh, to go out and help with the next-gen ministry. Whatever it is, can we just be honest for a minute that many of the times when we say, I don't have the time, it really just means I don't have this as a priority. There's something me first. And it's, it is not that you're out doing something wicked and evil and sinful. You could just be trying to bury your father, so to speak. Trying to do a good thing. But listen to this. When we let good things determine our commitment to Jesus, we've gone wrong. Good things, good things don't determine our commitment to Jesus. Listen to this. Our commitment to Jesus determines the good things. We reverse them. Jesus demands an unreserved commitment. Now please, to help you put this in some canonical examples, does Jesus just hate our families? Absolutely not. Do you realize he just left the house of one of his disciples and healed his mother-in-law? We find out later that the Apostle Peter, Jesus' favorite leader, so to speak, of the apostolic band in 1 Corinthians 9, his wife, Peter's wife, went with him on missionary journeys. But here's what does happen, and this will happen in the life of a believer, is that there will come times in your life where Jesus will call you to make an unreserved, I mean, an unqualified commitment to him, and it may be even at the expense of good things like your family. Jesus demands that kind of affection and allegiance. So what do we do? How do we know if we pass or fail? If I had to sum up this whole passage, it's this, and write it down. You know what Jesus is telling every single would-be disciple, every person who's ever made a decision for him? He's going to look back at you and say, go hard, or go home. Go hard or go home. Our status doesn't matter to Jesus. We're all sinners. Our life of comfort does not matter to Jesus because it doesn't compare to knowing and following Jesus. Jesus wants us off the bench and in the game. There's no sitting and listening There's just sacrificing and leading. There's no room for stipulations. Jesus demands the first place in your life, or according to Jesus, you can just go home. Here's what would scare me to know. We have a large crowd here today. A large crowd. But can I tell you who the real disciples are sitting here? Look at verse 23 as he, referring to Jesus, got in the boat, his disciples followed him. 
Hey, we all can sit and listen to Jesus. I don't mean I'm Jesus. I'm talking about the Word. We can all sit and listen to the Word. But the one that actually gets in line behind Jesus and actually gets in the boat and obeys Him, that's the real disciple. There could be 200 people here, and there could be only 12 disciples. What's our motivation for following Jesus? You say, why follow Jesus? I told you Jesus had a favorite nickname for himself. He liked to call himself what? The Son of Man. This is the first instance we have it in Matthew, but he'll use it many, many, many more times. Get ready. So it's important you kind of write this reference down. He is referring to Daniel 7, 13 through 14. An Old Testament scripture. Daniel 7, 13 through 14. And listen to one of Jesus' favorite scriptures that he applies to himself. He said this. This is Daniel prophesying. He said, I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like the Son of Man was coming with the clouds of heaven, and he approached the Ancient of Days, that's God himself. And the Son of Man was escorted before the Ancient of Days, and the Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language would serve Him, the Son of Man. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and His kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. He says, I'm the Son of Man, and I have no place to lay my head. Well, I thought you were given all dominion, all authority. Why would the Son of Man come and have no place to lay His head? Because though Jesus was rich, for our sakes, He became poor. He gave up His heavenly throne to die on an old rugged cross to save you and I from a devil's hell. That's what moves us to follow Jesus. He would lower Himself. He would give up His status he wouldn't just look down on us from above. He went and got involved in the mess. Do you see how this works? He didn't keep his life to him or equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but he gave it all up. He came down in the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And he did it without stipulation. He went to the cross whether you would love him or not. Jesus is not asking you to do anything that he himself isn't willing at this time or has already done. He deserves your unreserved discipleship. How can you take the next step? A couple of things. If you're sitting here today and you've sat in church, you may have even made decisions, but you've never actually turned from your sin. I'm talking about you hate your sin and you want to love, trust, and obey Jesus. You want to give your life to Him, become a Christian, and I mean a Christian in the real way, a true disciple of Jesus, then today's your day. See, Jesus didn't just die on the cross. That's not where the story ends. God raised him victoriously from the dead and gave him a name above every name so that if we call out to Jesus, he will forgive us of our sins and come into our life and be our Savior and our leader. 
And if you want a relationship like that today, you can pray to King Jesus now. And you can be saved and begin the journey of discipleship with Jesus. If you've been saved, if you've already begun to follow Jesus, one of the first steps, like once we accept this discipleship, this call to discipleship, the first step we take in following Jesus, and he teaches this through the rest of the gospel, is that we're to be baptized. Baptism shows our outward confession of our inward confession. When we confess to God that we are sinners and that Jesus alone can save us, that happens in the heart. How does the rest of the world find out that we're disciples of Jesus? We get baptized. We show that we were buried in sin, but God raised us to new life in Christ. And some of you, your next step in discipleship is to be baptized, to show the world that you follow Jesus. For some of you, it may mean becoming a church member. Now, you say, where's the church member thing in this? Here's what happens. God didn't save us in isolation. He saved us and put us in a body with a group of people. And a church member, here's what we're really all ultimately doing. It's not about voting. It's not about leadership. It's not about all the things we kind of attach to membership. Ultimately, it's this, is we're coming together to say, you know what? I'm going to help encourage you. You're going to help encourage me. I'm going to help keep you accountable. You're going to help keep me accountable. Notice there's an apostolic band. They did ministry together. Some of you need to connect to a small group, a Sunday school class, a discipleship group that Aaron leads. The reason being, this is a monological environment. You sit down and you hear me speak. I'm sure you have questions, comments, rude remarks. You have burdens and prayer requests you want to share. This is not the best place to do it. It's in those areas. For some of you to go deeper or to follow Jesus more, you need to get into a smaller environment. Some of you, the next step isn't just showing up at 11, it's showing up at 10 and getting involved in a Sunday school class and doing life with them. And I want to encourage you to do this. There's that tear-off on the back of the bulletin. All of these things are listed. Becoming a Christian, being baptized, becoming a member, joining a Sunday school class. But here's the other part, ladies and gentlemen. You've been saved. You've been called to serve. And not just serve inside the church, that's a part of it, but also to go out on mission outside the church. You have a ministry and a mission. There should be no spectators at Mount Mount Carmel, only participants. Why? Because a part of genuine discipleship with King Jesus is not just sitting and listening, but sacrificing and leading. And yeah, I'm asking you to say, what's your next right step today? We're going to be taking up the offering at the end. I want to encourage you, go ahead right now, take that tear-off panel, tear it off, write your name and maybe your email address, your phone number, and look and say, well, this is my next right step. In the context of the local church, this would be the next right thing for me to do. And here's what I do want you to do. I want you to place it in the offering as an offering to the Lord. Here, Jesus, this is me following you. Now, I want you to know there's no power in and of yourself to do any of this. I think what that first scribe would have been better off doing is instead of saying, I will follow you wherever you go, I think he would have been better off saying, Jesus, help me follow you wherever you go. 
I want to be here, but I know I need to be there. And prayer is the way we receive the power and strength of God to follow him in discipleship. And so my encouragement to those who've already received Christ, I'm going to ask you to get on your knees today and pray to Jesus. Say, Jesus, help me follow you where you lead me. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.